0: I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number three. Welcome to the third Life in Dub podcast, a new series of in-depth interviews with people who've lived their lives in dub and reggae. Thanks for all the emails and messages. It's great to hear what you've made of it, so keep those messages coming in and let me know what you think about the podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you pick up your podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, Google, all the usual places. You can email me at vibronics at gmail.com and visit the podcast website, lifeindub.com. This week, I wanted to talk about my studio, the Dub Cupboard Studio. I think it's been in 10 different locations since I started out way back in the 1990s. Well, now it's in location number 11, and what a mission it is to move again. You see, I mix in the old-school way, using a mixing desk and racks of old effects units and equipment, all linked together with miles of cables. I basically copy the way King Tubby, Lee Perry, and my absolute hero of dub mixing, The Scientist, invented in Jamaica back in the 1970s and early 80s. So all my gear went up and down several flights of stairs and I did start to question whether this old way of mixing is for the best. I mean, there are so many producers making amazing music using much more modern techniques, but I just love making music in this traditional way. I genuinely don't think analogue techniques necessarily sound any better, but it's just the way I like to work, so with this in mind, it's on with setting everything up for this next chapter. And it's this sense of a new chapter that's the real benefit of moving as far as I'm concerned. When I think back, each studio location is really a different chapter in the life of Vibronix Music Productions. So I welcome in this new phase and look forward to what it will bring. My guest this week is Maccabee, someone who is actually recorded in two different Vibronix Dub Cupboard Studio locations. I travelled over to Wolverhampton in the West Midlands to sit down with Maka and talk about his life in dub and reggae. Maka is a great talker and our conversation covered many topics, including his early beginnings in music, his TV appearances, and even Beyonce's mum. So, enough of me, let's get on with the interview. Maka welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Greetings,
1: blessed love, Rastafari.
0: And here we are in, uh, in Wolverhampton, so... Yeah, in Wolverhampton, in the West Midlands, UK. I think my first ever trip to Wolverhampton. Yeah, all right, I all mean. right. So, yeah, it looks a little bit like Leicester, where I'm from. It's not so far away. Yeah, it would do. It's kind of similar, you know. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're we're in the Midlands. Um, and what, what I'm doing with the podcast each week is I'm kicking it off by asking everybody to name a song that they listened to and they heard, they heard, wherever they heard where they heard it, and that is a track which they look back on, and it's like that changed everything for me. After I heard that, there was there was no going back. So I was wondering if you've got a track like that that you want you want to share with us. Yeah, it's not really
1: one particular track. I yeah, think it can be how you want it. Yeah, I think you find that um, the way the the Iron universe works is like something comes along and pricks your ears and your conscience, and then something else comes along and kind of confirms it, you know. And then something else might come along and say, this is the right thing, you know. So there's been many kind of songs which I can remember, you know, which really um, stood out to me. Um, One of them was um, Black Man Time, I-Rai. I uh, I really like I-Rai as a a DJ. And uh, the lyrics, I thought he was like a a lyrical genius at the time, you know. And I was well into lyrics myself, you know. And there's also um, the Visions album, Dennis Brown when I heard that, you know, I was a teenager and I loved that album, you know, it was non-stop, I used to play it, you know, and Satamasagana, Masagana, Abyssinians, and you know, all these kind of things, and Countryman, um, Twinkle Brothers, you know, all these albums, they stick in my mind, you know, but it's not just music, it's like, I remember like, when I first saw Roots on the TV. The, the TV show? Yeah, and we realized all about slavery and all these kind of things, because it was hidden from us, so... That was a really big part is, of is my life. Is it Alex Haley? He wrote a yeah, book. Yeah, Alex yeah. Haley, yeah. That was a really big change in my life to realize what's going on and what I could do to really start help the situation. So I started to incorporate it within my my lyrics and style. you know.
0: And when 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 was this sort of period of your life, would you say? Well, I was still at school, you know, so... Talking way like the like the eighties, the seventies. No, seventies, seventies.
1: Yeah, I know I look younger than, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I talk in the seventies, you know. Yeah, in the seventies, you know. So that's when I really started to DJ, you know, just as I was coming out of school and thing, you know, and join a band and everything in the seventies, you know. And the music in the seventies to me was the golden age, you know. I really love the music in the seventies, you know.
0: It, it was really, I think, such a special time for reggae because also it was that reggae had just been invented. It's been around for a long time now, but before the 70s, it didn't, you know, you had Scar and yeah, Rocksteady, but rock reggae we really was the 70s thing. Yeah, man, yeah, man. It was, it was great. brand new. Yeah, and it's the vibe and
1: also the the Rastafari influence within it, you know, it kind of gave me a, a identity as a black youth born in England, growing up in England, facing racism facing the national front and all these kind of things you know and
0: so that. going back to those kind of times like before you became like maccabee the artist like growing up so you you were born in uk yeah
1: i was born in the uk Jam- Jama- in jamaican parents yeah yeah yeah. i always say i'm african jamaican born in
0: the uk you know so. and what, what was what, what was it like what was it like growing up in Wolverhampton? Yeah, well... The only Very good... different times then. Yeah, it was at different times. And as you
1: know, there's a lot of racism about, you know, and people like Enoch Powell was the, the MP and, you know, he was the one who... He was the... your MP? Yeah, he did the Rivers of Blood speech and all those kind of things. So you can imagine what it was like in Wolverhampton, you know, and as you youth growing up, the only thing is there was a lot of us, you know, like from um, Jamaican parentage, you know, and like unity was kind of like a strength towards us, you know, and... Um, if we didn't have each other, then I don't know how it would have turned out, you know, but we had each other and we used to live like Jamaica, you know, we eat Jamaica and we walk without Jamaica, even as youths, you know, and I think the racism, it kind of it kind of brought us together even more, you know, because we realized, you know, who we, what we were up against and who the real enemy was, you know, so it kind of brought us together and we kind of fight against it. And we were like the first generation born in the UK so we were the ones who had to defend it you know and our parents they came they didn't want no trouble you know
0: they came yeah my understanding of it it's such a different experience like coming here from the Caribbean being born here to like Caribbean parents yeah the thing is we
1: never had no fear we grew up you know the people were saying this and that and you're no good we knew how they lived you know and we knew they weren't better than us you know what I mean so we didn't have no fear and we 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 identified ourselves with Africa, and we identified ourselves with Jamaica, and certain things we we wouldn't accept, you know, which our parents accepted, you know. So we were the first generation who really fight against certain things, you know. So we were there, and it was it wasn't easy, and it was poorer than now, you know. Outside
0: toilets and all those kind of things, you know. Yeah, people don't people kind of when you talk about stuff in like the 60s and 70s it's kind of it really you you're describing a very different world to people who were born like who are young now because things like you say things were different people lived in very different accommodation and the whole kind of um experience people had was very different back then yeah man very different but sometimes the hardship
1: it kind of turns you into a better person you know you get to appreciate love things more you know when you finally do get them you know i think some of the problems with nowadays is Everybody gets everything, you know. So he becomes spoiled, you know. But we had to work for whatever we had. So, in a way, you know, we give thanks for that part of our history, you know.
0: Yeah, when you look at the, the amount of possessions and expensive things, young people, even people who don't come from any kind of wealthy background, have a lot of, you know, expensive phone, expensive clothes, and they didn't exist back in the day. No, no. Like, I, had an older, I have
1: an older brother, and I had to wait for his clothes. You know, and i give thanks for his for the hand me downs, you know. So, you know, some people didn't even have those, you know. So we had to just give thanks for small things, you know.
0: And then I guess so what 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 kind of music were you hearing when when you were young? I mean, what, what kind of stuff was around you? Well, to be honest, the, the
1: reggae was around, well, like the, the Rocksteady and thing. my um, one of my best friends, he lived like four houses away. And um his father had a sound system. This is in Wolverhampton. Yeah, man, yeah, man. In Wolverhampton, his father had a sound system. It was called Lord Barley Sound. And every Saturday, there was blues dances. And we could hear the music, like, I was in my bedroom. I could hear the bass coming down the street, you know. So you're talking about, like, a blues, like, in someone's house? Yeah, in the house, yeah, because the reality of the situation is there was um, so much racism at that time. Um, You couldn't go to certain clubs as black people, you know. So they had to kind of do their own entertainment. So they congregated in some houses on Saturday nights, and you know, sometimes the children are upstairs, you know, sleeping, because the beers make you sleep, you know. So, so the children are upstairs sleeping and, thing, and the music are going, you know, and everybody just full joy themselves, you know. And I could hear every Saturday night uh, the music and everything. And I used to say to my, my friend, I said, uh, one day we're going to have to have a sound system ourselves, you know. And it just so happened that the father passed down that sound to the son, so we had a sound system while we were still at school, you know? But I wasn't just listening to reggae music, you know? I used to, I used to like listening to even um, like Stevie Wonder and, you know, um, albums like Songs in the Key of Life. You know, we buy those, those albums, you know, yeah, it's like all double albums. Yeah, the
0: classic album. soul stuff. Yeah,
1: man, yeah, man, and with a message, you know? Me never really just like, you know? just the I love you, you love me thing, although it's good, but I like to hear the message as well and Stevie Wonder, a lot of his songs, they had a message, you know,
0: so that's what we used to listen to as well, you know. So these these blues dances, I mean, do you have any recollection of, of going to any of these like sessions yourself? And
1: you know? Yeah, when we get a little bit older, yeah, 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 and it, it was nice, the vibe, It's said people enjoying themselves, you know, there was no trouble, there was no fighting, you know, you know, like, some people say you're too young to be in here, you have to go home and all those kind of things, you know, but we just give thanks, you know, it's a different time to know, you know, you didn't have to watch your bridges or watch your friends or anything or postcode wars and all those kind of things, you know, it was a, a cooler vibe, you know, so I give thanks that I was born in that time, to be honest, you know, so we know the difference, you know, and we can tell the youths how it used to be and how it can still be.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, again, my, my impression of it is that, especially in those times, like before, long before I discovered reggae music, that it was really like um, like a, a really powerful thing for the community to come together around the music and a kind of place to be where you weren't going to witness racism and kind of all the like political harshness that was going on in UK at the time.
1: Yeah, man, exactly still, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when we first started to DJ on the microphone, we were like newsreaders, you know, it's like when we start talking about certain things which are happening in society and even on the news and all those kind of things, the people just loved it, you know, and the vibes was just like electric, you know. It's, it's a pity that a lot of technology wasn't there then so people could really hear and see what
0: it was like at that time, you know, It'd be a, they would be amazed. Yeah, because like now, everything, especially recently, where everything's like live streamed, you know, I went to a concert the other day and everybody had their phone recording the song But back in the day, there's so, when I ever see a picture from back in the day of, you know, because I'm interested in the history of it. So when I see a picture of a a sound or a dance or something, it's like, wow, great. I've not seen that photo before because they're so rare. Yeah, and then mostly action photos, you know, see people dancing and all those kind of things, you know. And
1: like with the phone thing now, it's like people, they're not really getting the full 100 of the atmosphere and everything because they can't move. For one, they got to keep still. You know, even though and when you hear music, you can't keep still. You know what I mean? When you really hear music. So you got to keep still. So they're losing a lot of the vibes, you know, and they t- they'll take it home and
0: watch it at home and maybe dance at home. But you've lost the vibe, you know, so. Yeah, and then you're looking at it from a perspective of it being a recorded thing. And it's Because it's not a record. When live music's a different thing. Exactly. exactly. It's that, it's you would in that moment. That's why you're there. Yeah, I can see coming to the
1: stage where um, they'll ban phones from some live concerts, you know. I know some comedians do it. They band phones in their in, in their concerts, you know, and I think
0: in live concerts it would be good as well. Yeah, because it's it's that special thing. You don't really know how it's going to be. Yeah, you might have yeah. heard some rumours, oh, the artist is going to sing this or do this or the band's going to be that. Yeah. But you have to go to see it, whereas now you can just watch the whole thing. Exactly. And on it, YouTube or on Facebook or whatever. And it'll make more people go to shows as well. I agree. So, to, to talking about music and stuff, it's like so. You 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 started a sound system yourself, So yeah, and you were still at school. Yeah, it was at school. Yeah, and at first, I wasn't like the the microphone man. You know, I was just
1: glad to be with the sound, just you, the vibe of being with the sound. And the sound had a had someone on the mic already. Yeah, they had somebody on the mic already. Yeah, and um, but I used to just love carrying the boxes, just getting into the dances. You know, and going to the record shop, buying records, you know. It was just a nice thing for me, you know. But at home, I was a microphone person, you know. But I was kind of shy, so I didn't really do it live, you know, in the dance and thing. But as I say, I used to listen to the I-Rise and the Big Youth and the U-Rise, you know, and and kind of copy them, you know. You would say
0: piracy, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I guess in those times, there's so... The reggae scene was quite was big. There were a lot of sound systems, a lot of people chatting on the mic. I yeah. guess there's a lot of people who are really good. So it's kind of oh, not as good as these guys, or you know, kind of there's 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 a there's a very big scene for it. So it's kind of yeah. takes a, a while to get that confidence, I guess. Yeah, but it just so happened that we were playing in a youth club in
1: Wolverhampton, and um, we string up the sound, and the sound was there, and everybody said, "All right, the sound string up. We're gonna get something to eat." and come back, and then say, Maka, you just watch the sound. So I say, yeah, man, may watch the sound. So they went, and the sound's just there, you know, and it's on, so I just put on the tune and testing the microphone and everything. And, but they hadn't gone yet, and they didn't realize that I could chat like that, you know. So they said, Maka, you have to start DJing on the sound now. So that's what I did, you know, and at first, as I say, I was just copying the great DJs of the time. But then I said, well, hey, maybe let me make up my own lyrics and see what happens. So I made up the lyrics, you know, and the response and the reaction, the people went crazy, you know, because they could identify with what I was talking about, you know. And do you remember what you, what you were talking about at that time? Yeah, it wasn't nothing like super conscious or nothing like that. It was just like one of my bredgins, he went to he went to London and he bought a, um, a weatherman hat, you know, in Brixton. There's a shop called a weatherman shop next to Black Jade music store. And he bought a weatherman hat and he brought it back to Wolverhampton. And he was supposed to give it to me at a dance. So he was inside the dance and he said, yeah, man, you need car. So he gave me the keys for the car. And it was a Blue Avenger. and A Voxel. Yeah, a Blue Avenger. So I went in there and then I went into the car and it wasn't in there. And I went back in there and said, it's not in the car. And he come back out. And I'd actually looked in the wrong car. His key fitted in a different car, you know. So it was just like a simple thing like that, you know. I just made a lyrics about it, you know. And everybody knew about it. And they said, wow, that's that's good. You're you're very creative, you know. So I said, yeah, man, let me just start creating my own lyrics from then, you know. So that's what I did, start to create my own lyrics and develop my own style, you know.
0: I'm always interested in this, like, lyrical... Creativity. And I've asked a few people about this because I, I can't write lyrics, but I, I love lyrics. I'm amazed by them. So did you, when, when did you start writing stuff and coming up with ideas and things? Because not everyone, I've, I've never really done it. So, you know, was it something you, you did from an early age or? You write a couple of things
1: from early, you know, because I, I always liked words, you know, I was very lyrical, you know, even, even at school I did well in, in English. You know, I got an O-level in English, amazing, you know. And so I always liked words and had a lot of words, you know. It's like the dictionaries and all those kind of things. So I found when I did start writing lyrics, it kind of came easily. Because the more words you have, the easier it is, you know. So I started to write lyrics from when I was young. But as I said, I never performed them until such time where I started to say, yeah, I'm going to just write and perform my own lyrics. So I find they just come, you know.
0: When you were young, you you just make stuff up and and yeah. Would you would you share that with your friends and they'd be kind of amazed by that you can make stuff up or because yeah. But you know, I'm not making has their Skills up. like some people are great painters, some people are great sports people, and then there was someone who's who's got some lyrics, you know. Yeah, but the thing is, that I'm not making it up.
1: It's just reality. I'm just organizing it into my lyrics, you know. So that's the great thing. Even now, most of my lyrics they're just reality, you know. I can just walk out there, see something on the street, and just make up my lyrics about it, you know. It, when it comes, it comes, you know? It's like sometimes a producer can give you a rhythm and say, Maka, can you do something on this rhythm? And nothing don't come, you know? You think, oh, nothing don't come. And then you go away and leave it and bam, it just comes, you know? And you got to be there at the moment, you know? That's why I used to have like a dictaphone, you know? So just in case, because sometimes when it gone, it's gone. Yeah, if you capture that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now you have the phone, you know? So... You just you just do the smart record and you just do it you know at the same time so you don't forget it you know but I find it comes when it comes you know and and to be honest um we find a so herb it's like uh it's like a key you know it like it busts the padlock on your brain for certain lyrical things you know so it's just a reality you know so find it allows you
0: to kind of free
1: up the mind and get it flowing most, most definitely most definitely not all the time you know what I mean you don't need it all the time but I find that in the past it it has done that, you know, it's a, it's a holy herb, it's a meditative thing, you know, it's a spiritual thing, you know, so,
0: it's it's, it's food
1: for the brain, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me too, when I, when I was making music originally, then I really found that I could like, get deep into the music, for sure. Exactly. For it's, not, sure. it's not a cliche, you know, it's a real thing. Yeah, you know? absolutely, <laughs> I know, I agree, I, yeah. I agree. And, um, and, you, and obviously you're still writing lyrics all the time. Now you say your, your, your phone's like full of lyrics and full of ideas that you yeah. just kind of jot down in the middle of the night and things. Yeah,
1: just the ideas, you know. After after you get the idea, you can just develop it, you know, whether I write it down or whatever. Uh, you find nowadays um, a lot of artists, I don't like to do it, I prefer to, to write down the, the whole song, but a lot of artists now, they'll go into shoot studio and do line by line, they'll do one line, no. yeah man a lot of artists they'll do one line and it's alright what's the next line then punch me in so they, they record that one line yeah wow. then they think of another line and then do the next line and think of another line you'll be very surprised how many artists do that now.
0: that's I mean it's, it's whatever works I guess but there's something about starting with the end in mind like it's like writing a song yeah and continuity because that's yeah. that's what I'm because it's quite a discipline to write a song because you've got to fit it into this few minutes yeah Verse chorus, rhyming, it's got to work. Yeah, man, it's an art. It's an art form within itself, you know, and
1: not everybody can do it, but to be honest, if you listen to a lot of the music nowadays, you, you can almost tell, you know, who's doing it like that, you know. It, it,
0: it doesn't really comprehend together, you know, it's like, it's not like on one subject, you know. Yes, yeah, like, if you're writing a story, it's a whole story. It's, I'm going to tell you the story. It starts like this bum, bum, bang, bang, all yeah. the way through and it kind of goes somewhere and completes at the end. Because if you're doing it line by line, maybe it's going to be all over the show. All over the place. And even I come from
1: the school, Like even like when you to DJ with Saxon and and everybody, you know, sometimes we have lyrics where the rhyme is our one rhyme, (laughs) you know.
0: You have to know your words for that. Yeah, you have have to know your words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like
1: a thing. If you're a skilled DJ, you know, you can do it like that. So we come from that kind of
0: school, you know. So when you say, like, about those sound systems, Saxon and Wassifer and so moving on from being in school and having a sound and playing at the youth centre and picking up the mic, then what I th- when I think of Birmingham and sound system, I think of a big scene for sound system and, like, a militant scene for sound system. and yeah, yeah. I wonder what your recollections of, of that were like, like, from, I guess, like, late 70s and 80s. and Yeah, well, as you know, I'm from Wolverhampton, so the sound which...
1: Um, we my bridging them did at school was called Exodus, where Rasta used at that time. So it was a conscious sound. It was like a root sound, you know. Even though I was DJing, it's like a root sound, like more like Jashaka thing we are playing, you know. And it was nice, you know. And we used to listen to um, Jashaka. We used to listen to Coxon. Coxon had a residency in Wolverhampton. Well, like a monthly thing or something? Yeah. Oh. It felt like weekly. <laughs> yeah, Coxon used to play at 67 Club, you know, and it was great. It's like an eye you know, because Coxon was a big song at that time. And I remember Festus, the great selector, Black and Lady and all of them were there, you know, and they used to have clashes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one dance they played against um, They played against Mafia Tone. Mafia Tone was a big sound from Birmingham, you know, big, big sound. Keir Tick and Stafford. And they played um, in the 67 Club. And um Coxon had this dub called um, From Creation. Because them tiny, the dub. Don Carlos. No, no, it wasn't Don Carlos. That come after. And, um, I forget to sing the, the original. I think it's um, like Clive Hilton. It's an upsetter. The original, original. So, Coxon was the only song who played. And they must, them when they played the, the song, they say, one song in the world, Sir Coxon. But they never knew I say Mafia had gone to Jamaica and got the dub. I don't know how he got it, but he got the dub. And he played it back against Coxson. And the place went crazy. You know, the place went mad. And um remember Coxon was supposed to play Mafia um, in Nottingham maybe a week after that. And I heard he brought like 70 boxes. <laughs> he had to come equipped yeah he come for killing you know but <laughs> you know but those days it, it was nice and it was like I woke up you know it, dances was was really nice you know them times you have sounds like Quaker City and that's the Birmingham sound yeah as well, Quaker City and they were one of the crispest sounds for clarity they was one of the crispest sounds you ever hear you know they had some big boxes and they sound clean you know Quaker a really good sound you know they had sounds like from Birmingham called Jungle Man and Jungle Man was a root sound, Rasta Man sound. All of them dressed in khaki suits, you know. All of them, Wollipa dreadlocks. one had seven locks, one had one locks, you know what I mean? It was nice, you know. And their boxes had tires all over them, you know, and it was good. They played against Jashaka. and, you know, they play, they play against Jatobi, they play against Wollipa sound, you know, and it was a real good root sound, Masigan sound. There was a lot of Rasta sounds at that time, you know.
0: And would you go to London and play the London sounds as well? Well, at that time, I was with Exodus, we more kind of played like, uh, we played
1: against, uh, I think, Baron in Manchester. In Manchester, yeah. Yeah, we played in Gloucester against some song. We played in Northampton. But we didn't go and play the London song. That was later on with Wasifa. We used to play the London songs, you know. But at that time, all those big songs, Quaker and Shaka and Cox and Mombasa, you know, I mean, used to listen to all of them. I really get a good advice from them. You know, but then further down, um, Wasifa, um, they heard me on Exodus sound and they asked me to come and join their sound. So I went to Birmingham and checked them out and find. And someone.
0: how? Because obviously, when you start. You know, people don't. Confidence builds as you as you go down the road with music. So when you've got a bigger sound asking you to come and chat on their sound, then that must have been quite an experience, I guess. Yeah, man, yeah, man, it's good still, but I still
1: had to check them out, you know. I, you know, sometimes you, you go bigger, but the vibes, you know, the vibes get less. So I went check them out, and they're based around their mother's house and everything, and. Find they had really good vibes, you know, which really means a lot to me. You know, we can't take the bad vibration. You know, so they had a good vibes and everything, and roots as well. I played a lot of roots music and thing and Rasta and everything, you know. So, yeah, we start chat with Wasefa's song, and, and that was a, a bigger sound at the time. Yeah, right? that was a bigger sound, and they started to play all over Birmingham and they started to play in certain
0: in London and even in Leicester. Yeah, yeah, well, Leicester was the place. I mean, it was before my time, but I hear so many stories about it. Yeah, man. The community yeah, man. center and the workshop and... Yeah. Yeah, and Leicester was a, one, of, one of the dances.
1: One of the dances I really remember was in Leicester, and we played against Saxon. This I, is and Saxon. Oh, Wassefer yeah. and Saxon, and Saxon at that time was the number one sound, you know, because they had all the DJs, like Tipper and Papa Levi and even Maxi Priest, and all of them was among Saxon and thing and... I think there was me and sister Dan, you know, we're chatting on what's if I saw, and, and uh, we did really good in the dance, you know, mash up Saxon in the dance, and other people, and I say, yeah, man, what's if I take that dance there, you know, and there's some people even have a cassette.
0: Yeah, 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 I've, I've, seen, I've seen the tapes, I've You've got, seen I've got a few myself, and they've been circulating. Like, okay, okay. Yeah, of course. People still have cassette
1: at the dance, and that's one of the reasons why um, I got to record for fashion records. Someone heard one of these, tapes from the dance yeah they um, John at Fashion Records he heard it he heard the tape and he says yeah Maccabi, we want you to come in and record something for us so that's when I recorded "By Reader
0: and that was your first was that your first time in the studio no not really because um, there must have been studios around here I guess and people yeah. doing something musically and Obviously, you know, Birmingham's got a huge history of music and musicians. and Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But the thing is, after I, when I was with Exodus Sound, um, after leaving school, I joined a band, you know.
0: Uh, as as the, the front man?
1: Yeah, as a DJ. They already had a singer. So I was a DJ, you know, so I was with the band and, you know, with the musicians, so rehearsing and everything. And they also had a studio, so we recorded some songs there, you know. In Wolverhampton with the band as well, and I also recorded a song um, in '82 with um, a producer
0: called Papa P. That's here in Birmingham.
1: No, that's in London. Uh That's for Sapphire Records, and I did a song called Maggie's Letter, where it was like I was writing a letter to Margaret Thatcher, telling her that I can run the country better than she, you know. So from them time there, you know into the consciousness and the social commentary and thing, you know, so that was my first,
0: like, yeah, how biggest release. How was being, because when you're recorded and you listen back and everything then, because there's a difference I think between being involved in music and enjoying it and everything to then, you're on a record and then you're on a level with all these big artists and it's kind of, you get compared to those artists and you, you enter a different kind of chapter, I think. Yeah, 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 but it's all, it did sound good, you know, and, it wasn't like, I wasn't talking you
1: no know, foolishness or something that I'd be ashamed of later on in life, you know. It's some, it's conscious lyrics all the way, you know. So even if you listen to the very first lyrics, you know, there's no foolishness, you know. It's just trying to uplift, you know. Sometimes you talk a humorous one or whatever, but it's always trying to uplift. So when I listen back to the, the, the songs, you know, I just give thanks that I'm able to do it, that, you know, I got the... So-called talent to be able to do it and be given the opportunity to do it, you know.
0: And what what, what was the reaction to some of those like early recordings? Cause... Yeah, my people lo- love them, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, they really like them a lot. I remember um even we played um in the band played in London, um, a place called Cat's Whispers. Uh, Radigan was playing here. It's the first time Radigan ever hear me and he come round the back and said, Boy, you could, you know. Love to hear your own records. And Larry, record that was from, that's in the I think that's the late 70s, I think. Or early 80s still. Yeah, but, but me, me give thanks. And I think one of the, the times that helped me as well when I first went to Jamaica. And it, when would that have been? That's in 82, you know. In 82, you know. So, so Air Jamaica or British Airways? No, it's Air Jamaica still. Yeah, yeah, Air yeah, yeah, Jamaica. And it's the first time I met some of my um, sisters. You know, my parents come to England and left a lot of the children in but Jamaica. Their family back in Jamaica. Yeah, they came here to make a better life, and then with the intention of going back to Jamaica or sending for them. But sometimes it doesn't work out,
0: what you well, want to work out. Especially, it, to when, it happens out. to lots of different communities. Once you have kids, kids you yeah. to school, and then you stay much, much longer than you ever think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they didn't actually get to go back you see I so, so in 82 I got to see them like my f- four sisters and two brothers out there you know And it was a good vibe you know, it was a good band and everything the way we went to Jamaica first it was like with the youth club so 30 of us went this is the, in, in 82 yeah the 30 yeah. of us went you know, and stayed in Montego Bay and for a week and then you could go amongst your family there's and, 30 of you on the plane 30 of us yeah and when we were in Montego Bay we all went to a, a session and there's a session there, and them say we have somebody who can chat on the microphone, you know. And then and the yard man them say, yeah, oh, say, Maka. So I say, all right, make him make him talk. So I talk on the microphone, and please mash up, you know what I mean? And <laughs> and it made me feel good. I say, i me in Jamaica, and the people them like it, you know what I mean? And, I think try and make a career out of it, you know, so...
0: But those things stick in your mind, those moments where it's like, what is, this, is, this is going all right, people like what I do, yeah. it's that they're really, like, memorable. It's those moments you look back and think, oh, I did that, and then I got some confidence, or yeah, just yeah, something yeah, helped propel me forward. Yeah, man, it give me extra vibes, you know, so I give thanks to those little moments, you know. It must be interesting going to Jamaica, being brought up in Wolverhampton, but having such a big Jamaica influence from family and friends, and then to finally go back... No, it was it was great, to be honest,
1: because I, like, I felt at home, you know. Cause I, even though we're living in England, we're living like Jamaicans, you know. So when I'm going to eat, I'm eating what I'm eating already, you know. I mean, love ackee and callaloo and all those kind of things anyway, you know. So I'm just eating like how I'm eating, and the sunshine, I love the sunshine, and the coconut and all those kind of things. And then there's reggae music blazing all over the place, you know. You're walking down. The road. At that time, I think, um, Twinkle Brothers, Rasta Rastapanta was one of the big tunes. Everywhere you walk you here, Rasta Pantab and you see Wally Rasa, and you know it was a great feeling. Yeah. And you come back to
0: grey, grey West Midlands. Yeah, but your family is here as well. Of course, you yeah. know. So sometimes it's not the place, you know. It's it's the people, you know. And um, so with the sound system, then started to bring you to the attention of, of, of producers and people. They could hear that it's like this guy's got some lyrics. He's got a voice. And then you started releasing some records and things. And then, because there was a big scene for reggae in the 80s. I mean, it was not like now. It was kind of, it was new and exciting. And I, I don't know what it was like for you at that time.
1: Yeah, man, it was exciting still. Um, and I think one of the things which helped me as well, I think in 83, there was a talent competition, a DJ competition in in Wolverhampton, and a um, place called Rising Star. And Pato was in the competition, Pato Banton. Rankinan was in the competition, I was in the competition, some others was in the competition. And I won the competition, and one of the pr- prizes was to go onto the radio. So I went onto to radio, um, WM, a DJ called Des Mitchell, and talked some lyrics live on the radio, and got a very good response, you know. So well, Some people was uh, tuning in and they said they got a program called Ebony on BBC Two, what they do in Bristol. And they say, oh, it would be nice if, if once a week you come down to the studio and do a lyrics about something pertaining to the black community.
0: This is BBC TV. I, mean, yeah. I remember Ebony being on TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is BBC TV. Yeah. So that's what I did. I did a series on uh,
1: Ebony and Godongli and some lyrics and everything and you know it's getting kind of popular
0: you know well, when you're on tv i mean it's the, even now if you make it onto tv even even people who don't talk about tv people do watch it and you'd be people will know oh, i saw you on the news i saw you on yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, but back yeah. then when there weren't any other entertainment channels i guess if you're on tv then so if you're on tv and you come back so you, you, your face is there you're they're recording you yeah, man, yeah, And man. then you come back here and it's like... Yeah, man, big things are going on. People are going to notice you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, the like bus that. driver and people who'd never pay any attention to you, I yeah, guess, yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it depends who's watching Ebony at the time as well,
1: you know, that sort of thing. But, yeah, it was good still, you know, and i say you get a lot of props and a lot of respect for it, you know, and it was through one of these programs at Ebony that I got to meet my professor. He yeah. saw one of these and he sent a message with him, um, with um, Peter Culture, telling him can contact him and you know I wouldn't mind doing some work, you know. So I went down there and he played me some rhythms and I liked the rhythms and I talked some lyrics he liked the lyrics. So then we just got together and did the the album Sign of the Times, which was in '85, release in '86, and it did well, went number one in the reggae charts and thing, and and a whole a whole another new chapter, you know.
0: Yeah, because I mean Ariwa was. Um, I mean, it's a it's a big label now, but back then they were having like big lovers rock hits. I've just been doing a lot of work with Sandra Cross, and like some of yeah. those tunes were like really big tunes. And so it's a it must have been you know a cool thing to be involved in at the time.
1: Yeah, man, it was good still, you know. It's a uh, good vibes, you know. And I could kind of be myself, you know, because professor is conscious certain way, you know. Like you have some labels and um, producers. Uh, they don't want you to talk certain things, they say, you know, that might be too much. It might be, you know, can you tone it down a little bit? But my professor didn't mind, you know, from it was conscious and it made sense. He just allowed me to be who I am, you know. So that's why some of the
0: some of the lyrics, you know, they're they're powerful, you know. Yeah, I mean I remember those releases, amazing and like and they and they seemed to do well. They were like they were popular. Everybody had especially in those days a lot of LPs as well and people would have a Maccabee LP in their collection it's like you know it's a big thing
1: yeah man the LPs is like is a a good thing still you can can express yourself you know more than just a a one single and you get a you know a a little break with a single with an album now they they take time and they listen to you you know and play the album and play it all the way through you know so being a person who have lyrics as well and The rhythms are nice as well, you know. It's a natural progression, you know, to start doing albums, you know.
0: And I guess it's a different thing to live as well, because, like, being in the studio and recording is a bit of a different experience to being in the dance and, you know, lively and people up and whatever. It's kind of, I don't know how you kind of found those two worlds to be kind of... Well, to be honest, I was kind of used to it already,
1: because I was with the band from early, you know, so to me it was like a natural thing. You know, it was like in a studio from, from a kind of leaving school kind of thing. You know, so when I'm going to a bigger studio, you know, it's just a bigger studio, but it's exactly the same kind of vibes. You know, so it was fine. To say, yeah, you're comfortable in it. You know, it's like, and I was comf uncomfortable live because I've been doing it for so long. You know, from early. You know, like you have a lot of artists now, like they're good in the studio, but live. You know, 'cause they never really did the live. You know and um, they never really did the sound system part, you know, which it's I see like, as yeah, a, a... It's a schooling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's your apprenticeship, you know, the sound system is where you, you test out lyrics, you know, you test out styles, you know, and see what works for and what don't work, and you have to wall a crowd for like hours. It's not like no, where yeah, you, you be on stage for two hours, then you have to chat for like seven hours. You know what I mean? Not constantly, like you play the vocal, then you have to chat. You play another vocal, then you have to chat, you know? And you have to keep the people there, you know? Captivated for all
0: those hours. And, and you've good. got to deal with all the technical stuff because it doesn't always sound great, but you've still got to go through and whatever. And I've seen that put people off who've got no experience of it. But when you've been through Sound System and dealt with the worst mic and yeah, yeah, everything, yeah. you can do anything, I think. Yeah, my yeah, man.
1: The first song I was with, it it, it broke down quite a few times, you know, you had know, the dance, you know, some big dance as well. But I just say, you just got through and you just learn from it, you know.
0: Yeah, that's it. I think it's, 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 yeah, it must have been really a great schooling. But it's interesting you talk about the live band and the way that you did it. You were involved in the live band a long time ago as well, because that's what I think a lot of people think of you now as being um, on tour with a live band. Yeah, yeah, yeah we give things that you
1: can make that pr- progression, you know. Um, uh, it's good with the sound, but it's also nice to the band, just people to see the musicians actually, how they make the tunes, you know. It's like, it's a great thing. Some people, they don't, they don't really understand how music is made, you know. But when you can see it, you say, oh, that's the bass line, oh, he, that's he's playing that. Oh, so the keyboard man, he's playing that, you know. Oh, that's the drummer doing that, you know. So it's a great thing, it's like uh, schooling for them as well, you know, and visually it's nice as well, you know, so we have to, we have to big up the musicians because without the musicians, there's no music, if you know what I mean, so... your band
0: always totally on point? I mean, you, you, you put together a great band, definitely.
1: Yeah, man, yeah, man, we, we rehearse enough as well, you know, so... Can okay, you still, like... Yeah, man, we still rehearse every week and thing, you know, because as I say, you have to keep things on point, you know, so... That's one of the things, eh? even with the great Jamaican bands. They don't just turn up, you know. Practice makes perfect, you know. It's like football. Yeah, it's a discipline, you know? isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the best footballers, they, they stay behind when everybody's gone home, you know, and they practice their skills and everything, you know. So, as you say, it's a discipline, you
0: know. Yeah, that's it, because you might have the natural talent or ability, but to, to hone it into something which is really going to kind of like move you forward, yeah, you have to... Have the discipline. Yeah, man, most definitely. And the ones who kind of make it, you'll be very surprised how hard they work. You know. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I think there's people who maybe seem kind of more like characters and whatever, but 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 everybody who's working, they are working. It's hard work, and you you know you have to. Um, all the traveling and everything around it, it's kind no, of, no, no. It's, it's not for everybody, that kind of lifestyle. No, no, definitely not. Uh, but some people, uh, it's a persona. They just look
1: like they're not doing anything, but they're really working hard, you know, that when group. you don't see them, you know. Really, you know, some people in that studio 24-7, you know, and you see them out there, look like, oh, they're happy-go-lucky, you know, but they're really hard workers, you know. So I have to just give thanks, you know.
0: And with the, like the, the band and, and traveling and stuff, it's kind of, again, it's something I've asked quite a few people about because it's something that um, has really surprised me is just how far music can take you. You know, you started off in Wolverhampton playing, you know, in school and stuff and then now you're like a global like reggae artist and is, is that a surprise at all, how, how far you've traveled? Sometimes. It
1: can be at first, you know, but no, it's not, you know. Um, come from the 80s
0: um, with a we started to travel Europe a lot you know and how, how was it then because that must have been an experience to go to these places like earlier because people weren't traveling so much. it was more of a big deal to travel then I think yeah yeah
1: yeah it was like an eye opener you know because you hear about certain places but it's not until you actually go there you kind of see what the vibes really is you know and there's the negative there but there's positive as well you know so especially for the reggae music, you didn't realize how much people love reggae music, you know. When I went to, um, it was Yugoslavia then, before them break up. And um, there was a big festival in our forest and there must have been like maybe 15,000 people there. I couldn't believe it, you know, and we mash up the place and people them love it. And you think, wow. And when we started to go to Germany, we got so popular, you know. We were selling out all over the place, you know, and even now... Um, a lot of Germans who first got into reggae is when Maccabi and my professor first started to go to Germany, you know. At first, they were just listening to, like, like Bob Marley's and the Burning Spears and the Roots. But me come with a, a style we call Roots Raga. So we mix the DJ style with the Roots, and then they, they, they kind of love it, you know. So that's the way you get more DJ
0: styles to come into Germany. And and that's like, the, the, obviously, the UK experience it's linked like entirely to the Caribbean thing, but it's also, it's its, its own thing as well. And like Saxon and these sounds have yeah, yeah, brought yeah. their own thing and it's kind of, and then that seemed to kind of spread across Europe. And as you say, being influential, So like, like in Germany, there's a big scene for dancehall and yeah. chatting on the mic. And it's like, I guess, yeah, like you say, influenced by yeah, you going over there. And, yeah, man. We all say like, we make the Germans jump to reggae.
1: And if you ask them, they, they'll tell you, you know, we like our um, summer jam, I know. We were on the first ones, you know, we see when it starts at some liquor festival. And, That's a huge thing. Yeah, I know, it's it massive, you know. So France is the same, you know. go so France and all those places, and we even spread further afield, you know. Went to America, and I was the first DJ to tour Australia, first reggae artist, not even DJ, reggae artist to tour like in Australia, and that was an eye-opener as well, you know, travel so far, and I remember, like, we played at, by Sydney, um, the Opera House, yeah, we played right there, and at that time, I had a tune called um, Get Rid of Maggie, you know, and somebody says to the um, promoter, shall he, shall he do that song, Get Rid of Maggie, because politicians was here, it's like, it's like a big dance, you know, and we say, well, they don't, they're not so sure, So me said, chum, I gonna do it anyway, and it mash up the place because Them not like Magitacha neither. Yeah, of yeah just people went crazy, you know. So it was, it was a good experience still. And actually, things like um, meeting the Aborigines, you know, the, the indigenous people of Australia, you know, it was a good thing. Uh, we were in some of the shows, we were saying, Oh, come, we're not seeing an Aborigine, I'm sure. And the people were saying, "Them can't afford it, they haven't got any money. So we went to um, I think it's Redfern, uh, the ghetto. It's a really a rough ghetto, you see, bon up police car and all them something, you know, rough ghetto. And we said to them, get speakers, microphone, and something to play the music and we'll come to you. So that's what we did, we went on the street in the ghetto. Nice. And we do a show for them, you know. And how man? was that? No man, them love it, man. Yeah, man, yeah, man. Cause they bring them all of them black power t shirts and all them kinda of thing, you know. It's, now, man, it's a joyful thing, you know, so, yeah. I mean, I said traveling, it kind of woke in your minds, you know, as you say. And
0: yeah, you see some different things, and, and you go through, it's because it's, I love traveling, I really enjoy it, but especially in the days now of social media things, it can look much more glamorous than it is. And a lot of it's hard work. It's yeah, like man, yeah and you're away man. from your family as well. It's yeah. kind of hard on many levels, But but it's really, as you say, really an eye-opening thing, I find. Yeah man, when you tell people you've been here, there and everywhere, say,
1: oh they think you're going on holiday. Whereas well, as you know, sometimes it's from airport to to, to hotel to, to venue to hotel, back to the airport again, you know, you don't even get to see nowhere more than so, you know. But sometimes you do get to see some places, you know, and meet in certain good people as well, you know. So as I say, we give thanks that uh, give them the opportunity to do it, you know, and travel and
0: see the world, you know. And you're still traveling now. We were talking when I arrived about you're off to India soon, and it's kind of, all these new countries couldn't imagine playing a few years ago. No, no, even like Malaysia, the other day I was in
1: Malaysia, you know. In Kuala Lumpur? No, no, in the rainforest, in Borneo. Wow. Yeah, in the rainforest festival, and it was good, you know. Like, the night we were on, like, the players ram up, you know, it's like, I think we are the first reggae artist who's played at that festival, and it went on really, really good you know, really, really well, you know. Because, um, you know, that's a place, Malaysia is a place where even the, the, the ganja laws are very strict. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's death penalty for selling and all those kind of things. But, but when we draw the medical marijuana care, the place mash up the right. people are shout out and even politician was here and is smiling and, and laughing. Because you know. I did my research, you know, I don't just go to a place and talk. I do my research and I realize that... Um, they were thinking of um, having medical marijuana in Mala- in Malaysia and Thailand as the first two places in Asia. You know, so you have to do your research when you don't just go to a place. You know, I mean, do your research about the place, and you know, even to make up our lyrics about certain things. You know, and even even just to um, talk a few words, yeah, in their language, yeah, it's the greatest thing. You know, you don't you don't you don't realize almost them appreciation of that. You know.
0: Well the classic thing is the artist turning up and not even knowing what country they're in and saying the wrong country. Yeah, it happens <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. But I've seen you do like your like language your li- lingua thing, lingua or thing Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, great. Great. Yeah. And it's interesting you do this research and kind of Find out where you're going and what's going on there, because yeah, each country's got its own exactly. politics and reality going on. Definitely, definitely,
1: yeah, man. I find that even when I went to Africa first, you know, like when I went to Sierra Leone, when you when you're looking on the 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 internet, they say like, there used to be a bad war, you know, civil war there." So they say it's a very dangerous place and one of the poorest places on earth. And you shouldn't really go there and everything like that, but when we went there, it was very peaceful, you know, people coming together after the war and everything. I'd never seen so much Mercedes Benz in my life, <laughs> you know what I mean, because they saw the diamonds in there and everything, you know what I mean, so, it's a, it's,
0: and the city parties. you know, it's better than a lot of parts in the UK the media likes to put across this idea, okay, Africa's like this, the Caribbean's like that. Yeah, you go true. to Jamaica, you're going to get shot. Yeah. You go to Mexico, you're going to get your head cut off. You go to Africa, and then people are going to be just in famine. Yeah. And it's like, the, the world's much more complicated than yeah, that. Yeah, much more complicated And you know. It's an agenda that they might have, you know, trying to take
1: people's mind off certain places, you know. Uh, Same place like Africa is on the rise, you know, if you see certain places, you know. Places which I haven't even been, but you see them on the internet, like Rwanda. You know, it's one of the cleanest cities in the whole world, or crunches in the whole world, you know what I mean? So all those things are changing, you know, so that's
0: why it's good to travel, you know, and you can see things for yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I guess it's, it, as a lyricist like you as well, being able to tell people about it and educate people, that's a great Gift and a responsibility as well, but really a great kind of thing to be able to tell people about stuff. Yeah, man, yeah, man. I find that you can
1: uplift people, you know, even if they haven't got the chance to, to travel. You can edify them, you know, educate them about certain things. That's why I keep saying, like, to a lot of the younger DJs, um, especially like in Jamaica and thing, like, a lot of them talk about gun things, you know, and keep it street. You know, they got, they got to talk to the street to be relevant, you know, and to have a hit tune, you got to talk like you're in the street. But they can uplift the street, you know, because they actually do travel and they actually see certain other things which could uplift people in their communities instead of just talking like you've never been anywhere, you know, and this is all you know. Because some of them, that is all them know. But you as a person who has traveled and has seen different things and has seen different ideas and see different things work in the world. You are the one who should be able to benefit
0: your people. Yes, yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a responsibility and something which is um, it's, it's like a really powerful force. Just the simplicity of some words mm-hmm. is such a powerful thing. But words—they manifest, you know. Words—it's like words are
1: thoughts, and thoughts are vibrations, you know. And even we as people, we're walking by vibration, you know. If you take it under a microscope, you're just vibrating, you know. So we are all vibration, you know. So it's a spiritual thing, you know. So words can actually manifest and become something, you know. One of the things it says in the Bible, which I agree with, is and uh, in the beginning was the word and it manifests and took on flesh. So words can actually manifest, you know, it's not just Yeah, they're nothing. powerful, things. Yeah, man, powerful yeah, man. Thing. Words, sound, and power. Is, yeah, it's for a sure. great
0: thing. That's why you must be careful of the words that you use and be careful of the words that you choose. And you see, you see people controlling people with bad words and and false, you know, this whole thing about fake news now and yeah, stuff and yeah, yeah, yeah. no one knows what to believe. And they're words which are making people believe things which aren't true. And exactly, exactly. That's
1: why I try to tell people, if you look within yourself a lot of times, you know, some of the answers are kind of within you, you know, for that divine essence which is within yourself, you know. Sometimes if you look within instead of just looking without uh, just reading it in a book and taking that as, as gospel, you know.
0: Well, whilst we're talking about sort of lifestyle and kind of liberty things, it's kind of, um, I just wanted to ask you a bit about like your veganism as well because um, um, veganism is such a big thing now. But it's something you've been involved in for a very long time and something that is like, that's deep within the kind of Rasta philosophy as well. And I just wonder if you want to talk about that a bit. Yeah, man. Um, Can I stop eating
1: meat? From when I was about sixteen, that's a long, long, long time ago. I think you know? it's the same for me around that time. Yeah, yeah. I was just eating something. I say, you know what? This is an animal, you know. And I wasn't comfortable with it anymore, you know. And at that time, I was more adapting the Rastafari way of life, you know. And at that time, Rasta is talking about ITAL, you know, and life energy within foods, you know. And you would see enough people uh, vegetarian. They were vegan even before the, the, the word. Vegan was popular, you know, enough us. you know, enough to eat fish same way, but, you know, a lot of us was talking about ital food and ital liberty, and it had a great impression on me, you know, and I stopped eating the meat, carried on with, with fish and dairy for a bit, but then looked at the fish and said, no, can't really eat the fish no more, and I was never really comfortable with the fish anyway, to be honest, you know, I could never eat the head. You know, it's like it's the face, I yeah. Guess. Like, him, might look by me, you know. So, I said, No, no, no. And even when I am, um, I used to go to the food shops and um, other fish, I said, Can you take off the head? They said, Oh, you're born in England, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> I if
0: I you say, buy, yeah. you know, if you eat beef or chicken, you don't generally see the head, no, you're quite it's like a fish, it's like bang, it's there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like North Jamaican, they can eat the head, you know.
1: I suck out the eyes and eat the teeth and everything, you know. But I could never do it. So maybe I was born to be vegan, you know. So that's one of the things. So I stopped the fish. And then I carried on with the dairy products for a while. But at the time, I was getting some bad stomach pains, you know. I was getting gastritis all the time, you know. And I didn't know what it was. And the doctor, they just... So it's just gastritis, here's some Gavis scan or whatever, you know. You'll be all right. We finally kept returning, you know. So I started to read up certain things, and I I read up about lactose intolerance, you know. Yeah, man, big big thing, you know. So I cut the dairy out of the equation, and lo and behold, I never had a gastritis ever again, you know. It was the it was the the, the milk, you know, the dairy products, you know. Can't digest the the, the milk sugar, you know. And I'm a strong believer in anywhere that you shouldn't be drinking milk anywhere because it's for yeah, a calf. Baby, yeah,
0: the baby food of another species. Yeah, it's crazy. It's quite a crazy thing to be consuming. It's, it's madness. And if you will
1: see somebody in a, in, a, in a field drinking out of a cow's udder, you you'd say it's crazy. You might call police and say that's a madman. But that's what people are doing. You know what I mean? They're drinking the, the, the milk of another and, and drinking it after the weaning period as well. Because a calf knows after a certain time, you don't need to drink that milk anymore. You know what I mean? So, the humans are doing that and they give you the calcium thing and then you get to realize that you can get calcium from plants and other things, you know. So, we cut out dairy as well, you know. So, so become fully blown vegan or strict vegetarian, whichever you want to call it. And, starting to travel like that, you know. It's like, it get difficult.
0: Can I go into yeah, some places? certain places. It's like, I mean, I I still uh, eat some uh, dairy stuff. So I still eat some cheese and things. But i have been a vegetarian for like 30 years or something, and it's like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, if if you're not eating any dairy or anything, then it's like certain countries very difficult.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they never even they never done it. Like, yeah, like what, what's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. I went to Serbia, Serbia, and I said, no, I don't want none of this in a restaurant. And, they were saying, oh, is he ill? You know, what sickness does he have? Yeah, when's <laughs> when he going to get better? I hope yeah. he's better soon. Yeah, yeah, so you've had that as well. You yeah, know, course, you of know what I mean? So, all them things. So, enough time to bring my my own food anyway, you know. Like, we start off with a hub.
0: And then, start, Then hub I get too much, we bring um, steamer. Yeah, I, I remember when we were, in, um, like we were in Portugal and you brought your steamer. We, in the end, we actually found some good food there, but it yeah. was still kind of and I'm the same I have my emergency supplies because I never know if I'm going to turn up and there's like yeah, it's yeah. happened several times but it's no like there's only okay. meat but no idea is my work with my blender okay you know I say, so it's a smoothie every morning so I'm alright you know and how so you, you seem um, I'll talk about the 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 way that it's become really popular in a minute and and, and also about like, like your, your your videos have become popular, but just but, but, but sort of backing up a bit, it's like how did you manage to educate yourself so much about food and veganism? And it's like that you seem seem to know a lot about it. Yeah, it's just um, it's just life. Cause you're living it.
1: That's the thing, you know. And a lot of things you see me talking about are things that I actually do. If you see me, I say like that's why it can seem like surprising. Cause I never thought of that. You know, even thing like slicing of cucumber and making cucumber water. It's thing that we do anyway. So when it comes into lyrics, people go, oh, I never thought of that. Wow. <laughs> yes, but I just saw my window. And um, even like, when I went to South Africa and my son was, he, he wasn't too well, He got like flu-like symptoms and they took us to this um, herbal um, doctor. Zaras, you know, and he introduced us to buku. So he gave him some buku and garlic, you know, it's a, it's a herb called buku. And he, within a day it cured him completely so when I do a post about Boku, I just explain it in that way like where I went and just spice it up a little bit you know so it's like personal life experiences also and reading books you know read like books about health we've been reading it from a long time you know like um, you know people like Layla African Nutricide and all these kind of books you know and Queen Afua, and a lot of people you know we read their books you know
0: so, I mean, just educate myself, you know. A lot, a lot of people, they, they, they pay no attention to what they eat. And it's kind of, it's for me, that seems crazy, because it's like, you you literally are what you eat. I mean, it's, exactly. exactly not getting more important. No,
1: exactly, you are what you eat, you know. Even when you start learning about protein and amino acids, and you how they break down, and whatever you eat has got to become part of you. You know, you has got to break that back down into you. So, you, you really are what you eat, you know what I mean? And as I say, some people know more about them care than they know about them their, their body, you know. And if like there's bad bad oil or anything, they're not putting out them care. If they me about bad petrol, they're not putting out them care. I said, No, man, you know, some bad petrol. I said over them. So But food, you know what I mean, for some reasons, you know, they, they just neglect their body. And when they get sick and their body starts rejecting something, so things they they start to wonder why and what's happening. And ninety-nine percent of the illnesses. Are directly, um, because of the food that people eat, you know, it's like a yeah, nutricide. Sure. You know, so
0: then that's the way to cure it. You know, and also just the basics of like, because we're so used to, you know, having food generally, it's like there's a saying I think is, "Is it we're three meals away from war or something?" Like if you everybody food disappeared completely and nobody had, but they had to skip three meals, then war would just kick off because that basicness of like hunger and things it's kind of we're sort of we're taken we're taken away from that basicness by sort of having an abundance of food around us but like yeah. it's such a primal important thing it is
1: i know you're saying still but sometimes the hunger is not even hunger you know sometimes you're thirsty sometimes you're, it's just your mind being tricked by certain things even like sugar you know sugar, sugar can it's powerful stuff yeah it can just trick your mind and say you're not full enough. You know. Eat some more, you know what I mean? But really, you are full. The rest of your body is saying no, but, you know, it's tricky. it reaches the same part of your brain like, um, like cocaine, they say, like dopamine, you know. It's all those kind of things. So you have to be really, really careful. And it, what it is, it's a business. There's people profiting out of it, you know, out of disease. That's the big thing, you know. So when you see people um, selling all these things and promoting all these things, and they know they're not good, you know, they're doing it all for the sake of money, and it's not a good thing. You know.
0: And talking about your like the veganism and and kind of like the activity around it is like one thing that's really happened is is your weekly um like food kind of news bulletins or whatever, and and especially the 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 cucumber. Yeah. Really went viral. I mean, what 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 happened there? what, what was that like? Yeah. Well, if we go back to.
1: 2008 mm. I did a song called Whammy Eat yes yeah and uh, the video in the shop video in the yeah, shop yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and it was very popular you know amongst vegans and everybody you know not just vegans but everybody seemed to like it still and they make a lot of memes out of it as well you know and it's going around and big vegan organisations that share it and everything and even um, Vegan Society of England they asked me to be one of their ambassadors, so I became one of their ambassadors as well, so I was promoting the vegan thing, you know, a lot, you know. And um, a couple of years ago, um, my children, they're big people, but still children, they says, Dad, social media thing, I get big now, you know, I I step into it a little bit, you know. Uh, I was old school, you know. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah so... I said, all right, I'm going to try your thing. So we start the, the Facebook and the Instagram thing and do some posts and then start thinking about the angle and we say, oh, vegan thing, you know. We say, I, I watched this program called Clean Eating, you know, because the reality is I was doing some of the vegan posts and I said, well, I don't just want to do the vegan posts, I mean, I'm going do something else, you know what I mean, because there's a whole heap of things. This is before the medical Mondays and things. Mm-hmm. And um, I watched this film called, this program called Clean Eating. And it was showing how big the vegan thing is getting. Yeah, because
0: it seems to be such a, such a big thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I didn't know, realize it was so, so big. So I said, all right then, um, like when oh, me, am a vegan and thing, let me impart some of my knowledge upon the thing. So we said, we could do Medicare Monday, where we try to tell people the benefits of certain fruits and vegetables. And see how it go, and also let's do a Wami Eat Wednesday as well. Where you ask people to try a vegan meal for the first time, and how was it? And post your review of it, and you know certain recipes and all those kind of things. So I did the Medical Monday, and the first one I did, I think it was about ginger and, and lemon, and I just talked it. Powerful stuff, there. yeah, powerful stuff. And I just talked it, like when I talk to you. And then it, it got some, a lot of views and things. I said, we, had, we might be onto something new, you know? So we did that, and we did the e Wednesdays. And then I said to myself, let me, let me don't talk it like normal talking. Let's do it in my own style. Let me try rhyme it with melody and, you know, put a little humor in it and whatever. So we did one, I think it was avocado. And I did it with rhyme. And it got like two million views. I said, what? Two people? million? Yeah, that's on the Facebook, you know. I said, well, people like it, you know. Like people going crazy about it. So they said, yeah, man, and this is the way forward. So then I did the one about the Kukumba, And that one just exploded, you know. It's like, that one like got hundreds of millions of views, you know. I think um, some people, it got millions on mine. It got like about 20 million on just on my side. But some then people, when it starts to get shared yeah there were some people Unilad you know they're one of them Facebook sites you know we share a lot of videos so they asked if they could share it no they didn't ask them share it and then um, it went viral you know because they have like millions of them subscribers yeah, yeah that's I it the me. whole viral thing must be quite a trip it went viral yeah and you see people like Leo- Naomi Cam- Naomi Campbell started to share it and you see People like Beyonce's mom that so say, Whoa, would watch this and where We had something I go so, on, you know. So we got hundreds of millions of views and everywhere we go in the world, you know, and people say, Oh, they love the cucumber thing and very and we just carried it on. We've done it for like um for a couple of years, we're still doing it, you know, cause there's so many fruits and veg and we're still doing it and still getting a good response, you know, even though Facebook is not
0: as big as it used to be, you know. But the in- Instagram has gone crazy. I Instagram,
1: I do it now, as yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah it's Instagram doing it now, so we have north in like over three hundred thousand on Instagram. Instagram, you know, so that's that's what's doing it now, and it's going good, and it's making people see the other things that I do as well, you know. Like the new people who come in and say, "All right, it's good," you know. Like you, at first, you would have some people come in and say, "This man should make a record." Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he made some before, actually. Yeah, and then some people will say he's been making him for years. Check him out, and then they say, "Oh yeah, it's great." And I love the lyrics, and you know, so it's a, it's a it's a good thing still. So we just give thanks, you know. And I just say it's blowing up now all over the world. You know, it's people into the into the vegan thing. There's been a new film, um, the game changers. I don't know if you've seen that film, but um, the producers are people like uh, Louis Hamilton and. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Djokovic, you know what I mean? So all these... Big names
0: re- involved.
1: Big names, yeah, yeah, yeah. And enough people are getting
0: into it, you know, so... What's it like being part... Because you, you see these viral things happen and they, they they come up and everyone, and they're spread everywhere. And for me, you know, I've known you a long time and, you know, lifelong fan of your music. It's great to see this thing. Suddenly, like oh, it's on the news and it's like this. It's amazing. But it also, when things go really public like that, it can get a bit crazy as well. I don't know if there's been any sort of... Because there's some strange people out there as well. Yeah, negativity in the world. I know, I know, but I haven't really booked up on
1: them. I think sometimes um, I just keep my vibe. The greatest thing about like going viral—if you go viral with something that you already do or you already are—you know—if it's some way out, completely different to you, then it's harder. But I am who I am, you know. So and I'm approachable, you know. Like, I'm kind of humble that way, you know. I don't see me as better than nobody, you know. Everybody has something to offer in this life, you know. so people can approach me, and I think when they see that kind of vibe, it kind of brings that kind of vibe out in them as well, you know. Because you got people who, even with the vegan thing, you know. You have some people that hate vegans.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People it, are very passionate about it because yeah. it, it really challenges their... Perception of everything. It's exactly. Like a, it's like how can you have a different outlook? That, yeah. That's confused me. And it's I'm like I'm hungry. It's like you're saying at them. Yeah. I'm, you. know, I'm How could you, you? Yeah. How could you still
1: eat that little llama or whatever? You know. But I chat to people who, who are not vegans about vegan thing and even in dances and they, they go they love it. You know what I mean? It's it's just way I put it. You know. And even some of those um, sites they would put um, headlines like, this is the only vegan I would listen to, you know? Because I'm not really judging them, you
0: know? Because I have... Yeah, you're, just, you're just sharing your knowledge. You yeah, have. I'm just sharing my and, knowledge. And, and also entertaining, It's that... Again, I've yeah. said it a few times. You know, I don't know who came up with the word, but like, edutainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Education, but it's entertainment. Entertainment. It's things together. Yeah, man, yeah, man. Directly. It's a powerful
1: combination. Yeah, and I'm not coming... I'm not coming, like, with a hatred because... Most of my family, not my children, my children are vegans and everything, and my wife. But most of my like cousins and everything, they're not vegans. And I don't hate none of them. I love all of them, you know. So sometimes you just try and advise them yeah. on certain things and that's it. But you still love them, see way So I'm coming from that position with people, you know. I'm not saying, oh, you're a you, wicked. You're not starting you're, a war. No, you're, you're a wicked person because you do this <laughs> and do that there's some other people who are vegans who do things I don't like. You see what I say? So it's it, it just, it just one of those things, you know. So I mean just I come from a position I, I,
0: I love. Again, a, a bit of a surprise, I guess, that that something that's important to you has become more important in like the mainstream, if you like, and in sort of wider society. And something that was a bit of a, almost like a cult, you're a vegan, are you in some weird gang or something?
1: No, I know, because the more so-called famous people become vegans, the more it's, it's
0: becoming acceptable. You know? And yeah, you've been involved in sort of music and activity for a long time. So I wonder what, what what's going to be sort of happening in the future. What's what's ahead for you? Well, I'm a sort of person. Uh, I just let Jab be my
1: guide, you know. And um, I've been guided so far very well, and I give thanks, you know. And certain things happen to me, like it's vibes, you know, like it's synchronicity, you know. It's like it's vibes. Like, we don't believe in coincidence. You know, everything is for a reason. We're born coincidence and luck. You know, it's, everything is for a reason, you know. So, certain things have been guiding me in the right direction, and I just continue to let it guide me, you know, and give thanks to the Most I Rastafari and I give thanks to the ancestors and all these kind of things, you know. So, they just give me the good vibe and lead me in a positive direction. So, anything which is to come, I know it's going to be positive, you know. I don't know what direction, you know. Uh, I would have never have said the the viral thing would happen. Of course, yeah, that's so, totally
0: unpredictable.
1: Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So I could never say that, but it did happen, you know, and I give thanks that it happened, you know. So what's the next chapter, you know? You have to give thanks. Just keep doing what I'm doing and keep doing it in a positive way, you know, and in a humble way.
0: Nice. And the other thing that I'm asking all of the guests on the, on the podcast is... Um, it's a bit of a daft question really and it's nothing kind of too major, but like the book of Dub, I'm opening the book of Dub, I'm writing everyone's name and just I wonder what people would want written next to their name, just something they've contributed or something they want to say about themselves and everyone I've spoken to has said something really different and it's kind of interesting. I wonder what you'd want. So I'm, I'm opening the book and I'm writing the name. I just wonder what you'd want written next to it. I'd want you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But maybe something that's like conscious lyrics yeah, yeah. perfect yeah. perfect that's it because it's like those lyrics are, like i say i'm i'm i guess because i'm not a vocalist and not a lyricist i'm always you're always amazed by things other people can do that you can't and yeah, yeah, yeah. so i'm always amazed by singing and lyrics and they bring my music to life exactly and like the stuff you've recorded on my tracks in the past i'm still playing them and it's kind of you know, some lyrics you wrote ages ago, you recorded them ages ago, but they're still being played. And the effect it has on people is very powerful. It's great to see. See, see.
1: Normal at school, as we said before, you know, lyrics are a powerful thing, you know, and lyrics can change the world, you know. As I say, the the pen is mightier than the sword and a real thing, you know. That's why we have to choose our, weird, our words carefully, you know, and talk the right things, you know, even to the young people, you know. Don't underestimate the power of your words, you know, because they might seem like they're not listening, you know. So, oh no, dad, they don't want to hear that. We, we, we. Years and, later, yeah, because when they go to the room and in the, they're in by themselves and uh, they're in silence, uh, your words are still ringing in their ears, you know. God, you can't block up your ears, you know. So you're hearing it, even if you're going like you're not nah, hearing it. And as you said,
0: later on, years down the line, it's well, that's what dad said, you know, yeah, 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 Powerful stuff. Well, Maccabee. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me uh, for the podcast and uh, it's been very, very interesting. Yes, it's been good. You're a good interviewer. Yes, Thank I am. You, Thanks again for joining me and Maccabee for this third episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Please subscribe to the show, visit the website, lifeindub.com and feel free to email me at vibronics at gmail.com with any comments and suggestions for the show. I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast.